0: me april 4th 2010 special special we repeat the word special first fruits lecture designed specifically to be especially warm and fuzzy and seeker sensitive visitor friendly with hardly any physics or ranting by me and that i want you to notice i said hardly uh reason is, is that I've become more aged, and I've recognized that my ranting skills, my haranguing ability has eroded over time, and so it's hard for me to do it anymore. So those of you who came today for the traditional side vituperation, I must apologize in advance. You're never supposed to apologize in advance, but I'm going to because my decline is inevitable, and I'm not able to get as fired up as I used to and throw things at the audience. And have I thrown things at the audience? Yes. How many of you have I hit? Never raise your hand. It identifies you as a target. I only threw erasers. But when I was teaching school, I threw erasers that were filled with chalk. It was great. I'd throw them and I could hit them all. Couldn't I, Katrina? Did I ever hit you? You were always so nice. But I hit all your friends, though, didn't I? Yes. And then they... The eraser like a bullet, bam, in the forehead, chalk all over the place. And then what would they do? They'd bring the eraser back to me. It's great. And I'd reload it and throw it again. They never figured out that I only had one eraser, but they kept reloading the teacher. I even write it, do not reload the teacher, but they still did it. My favorite Anchorage, I mean, uh, Grace Christian School story is uh, I'm the only one that's allowed in the class to drink the soda during the class. Jerry Williams, who grew up to be 6'5 and a U.S. Marine, um, decided that he would sneak a soda. And so I saw him with his soda. And I went over and grabbed it, and I thought it was empty. To this day, I shouldn't admit that. But I just went over and I just grabbed it off his desk and I threw it like that. Realizing at that instant that this is a full, complete soda. Not just a can, which I threw towards the direction of the of the uh, wastebasket in the corner, ooh, 35 feet away. So that's what I did. I thought, wham, don't drink soda, realizing that it was going to hit the wall and explode. But it didn't. Where did it go? Right into the trash can. Just wham. Maybe the greatest shot ever. Anyway. Yes, there is. Jerry Williams, U.S. Marines, calling. He'll tell you. He'll testify on my behalf. He's afraid of me still. Okay. So it goes without saying, on this day, uh, there's certain subjects that must be addressed. And as, and you heard Anna, because she belongs to me, say Ishtar, Easter, because Ishtar and Easter are interchangeable. We say Easter, but we really mean it comes from the Babylonian. It really means uh, Ishtar. So... Uh, We have allowed Ishtar Babylonian paganism to come into um, our holy day here, which is a great shame, because this is the first uh, or the feast day of first fruits, Passover unleavened bread, first fruits. So this is a first fruits banquet or a first fruits dinner. It's a first fruits communion, but we call it Ishtar, sadly. And so when that happens, it also happens with the Christ Mass. In December, but um, it's important to to address it every year, and I I have to because I'm expected to do it. It is expected. It should be expected. We do live in the age of the Laodicean church. If you're a really nice dispensationalist, you'll understand what that means. We're in the church age where Christ says uh, in Revelation 3.20 that I am on the outside of the church. I'm beating on the door. I am not in the church. I am on the outside of the church, and I am vomiting. Uh, Revelation 3:16 So Christ outside and he's vomiting that makes perfect sense to me looking around at the church today check it out Revelation 3:16 through 20 So no time in scripture is more dysfunctional more biblically illiterate within the general church than probably today Ishtar Easter And we have our chickens and notice what we did we put chocolate on the tables and little fake chicken eggs but they're chocolate chicken eggs that's a good thing because we've what we've learned what what have we learned about chocolate in the last couple of days chocolate is what it is good it is good eat chocolate no heart attacks no strokes you're smarter you're more attractive eat more chocolate so we decided we'd help you out today so But we have our chickens and our fertility bunnies and that of course fits with the fertility Babylonian pagan tradition of Ishtar because that's what Ishtar was, was a fertility uh, festival and and we incorporated it in complete and total ignorance into the society thinking that it was cute and funny. But uh, surely as I I recognize that God must weep over what we have done to his feast day of first fruits. He must just be, well, he's omniscient, he's not stunned, but weep, I think, sad, is what I would expect. He says of Israel, eventually, because he gave the feast days to Israel, and he says to them, I hate what you have done to my feast days. I imagine he thinks the same thing for what we have done with fruits Resurrection, calling it Ishtar. It's saturated, we have saturated it, the church has, with filth and drivel. And of his seven feast days, the feasts of the Lord, Passover, unleavened bread, firstfruits, weeks, trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. See, he chooses, he preordains that he will die. He picks one of those feast days, and that is the day he's going to die. He picks another feast day; that is the day he's going to be buried and entombed for three days and three nights. And then he picks a third feast day, and that is the day that he would be resurrected. He sacrifices himself on Passover. He's on, entombed on unleavened bread, and he resurrects on first fruits before God. Revelation thirteen eight. Before God creates space, matter, energy, and time, which is the created order. Before the created order, his plan is to die on Passover and tome on unleavened bread and rise on first fruit. So before he makes anything, before he makes time, that plan is in place. Revelation thirteen eight. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the invisible of God made visible, or God manifested, animated, if you will, so that we could see him. The invisible made visible follows exactly to the second, to the minute, to the hour, to the day, to the week, the exact pattern that he reveals in Exodus and with Jonah. He gave this pattern of his crucifixion week to the Jews as he drew them out of Israel. And he gave it also with Jonah. It's called the Passover Prophecy and the Sign of Jonah. And just a little tiny itchy bitsy effort doesn't take much. Little itchy bitty. Here, that much effort. Can you see how much effort? Oh, that's way too much effort. There. That's all the effort a Christian is required. Every Christian, all you need is that much effort and you could notice the relationship between the weak of the Jewish exodus from Egypt and the crucifixion week of Christ because they are identical. They're identical. The pattern, the template is the same. So, what does that mean about the Friday crucifixion? I know I'm skipping a lot of stuff. There's no Friday crucifixion, there's no good Friday. Instead, there's happy burial, spice making day. That's what they did on Friday. You see, because there's so many Sabbaths in that week, they were literally frozen. The only thing, the only day they had where they could do any work was Friday. Couldn't do it on Wednesday. That's Passover. That's a Sabbath. Time. That's a High Sabbath. Couldn't do it on Thursday. That's a High Sabbath. That's unleavened bread. The only day that works for them at all to make the burial spices is Happy Bur- Burial Spice Day, which is Friday. So that's what they did. But they didn't know that Joseph and Nicodemus had already done what and put it in the tomb. Well, anyway, bought a tomb. They put burial spices in it. See, how did they know that? Anyway, it's Good Wednesday. Jonah died on Wednesday. Christ died on Wednesday. Israel killed the Passover lamb on the 14th of the first month, if you have the religious calendar, the seventh month, if you have the civil calendar. And they cut the throat at 3 o'clock p.m., the exact hour that Christ died on Wednesday. And they left for the Red Sea. Israel did on Thursday. How many of them were there? Two and a half million of them. How long does it take two and a half million goats, chickens, and women, and carts, and kids? All they need is diaper changes every 15 seconds. How long does it take two and a half million people to come out of Egypt and travel and cross the Red Sea? How long? That's a lot of people. It takes three days and three nights. Israel killed the Passover lamb on Wednesday, 3 p.m. first barn of all of Egypt was dead. When the angel of death, the angel, by the way, that's an interesting thing, because the angel is always Jesus Christ. They left for the Red Sea on Thursday the next day. Everybody was glad to see them go. And they crossed over on Sunday, which happened to be first fruits, three days and three nights. So... If you think, by the way, Jonah was sitting at a desk with a flashlight doing crossword puzzles in the belly of a fish. <sighs> he's dead. And he's dead for how long? Three days and three nights. And if you think the nation of Israel, two million plus, could travel to the Red Sea from Egypt with the Friday crucifixion position. You've got to moving all that way in about 24 to 25, 28 hours. Good luck with that. I taught school. You couldn't get everybody out to recess. And I'm sorry about your Friday crucifixion position. I know you love it. I know the media loves it. I know Hollywood loves it. I know that the Irish who brought it over here love it. I realize it's wonderful for them, and I don't want to take it away from them, but it's wrong, and I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. I'm No, I'm not really sorry. That's a fake sorry, and you'll see some more of those. Now, I cover that again because I'm required to. I must do it. People have brought people here. You may be one of them because you know that I'm going to cover this. And so I'm forced to cover it every year. And I do it every year because why? It's a buffet. That's right. And I really do like you. And I want you to know. I don't want you to go through life. um, What's that word? And I get in trouble for saying it. But I want you to go through life illiterate or stupid. I want you to have some understanding of what your Bible says and know why he does what he does and why he moved the way he moved through his crucifixion because you need to know he had total and complete authority and control over it. It's very important that you know that. Otherwise, you'll have some Hollywood cartoonish idea of what occurred during the crucifixion week and what occurred on the cross and what occurred post-resurrection. And so those are some of the first fruits requirements, the things that cannot be left out, even though most of you have heard every one of them before. And if I ask people to raise hands, they wouldn't raise hands because they're not supposed to raise hands here because it makes them a target that's right. But if they would, and they won't. But if they would, and they won't. One will. He thinks he's out of range. But they've all heard it before, and they could recite it to you verbatim, word for word for word for word. And they're probably tired of it, too. But they know that they have to endure it. Why? Because they want you to hear it. Because they had to hear it. And they had to learn it. So I am compelled to reveal, compelled, sorry, to reveal these things every year, all by it in this truncated format, because of the visitor that's coming today. And I see the visitor... Thank you for coming. Generally, we surround you with a light. We all hold hands and sing something to you. But we won't do that today. That's really a joke. Some of you uh, may not know that. I did. I had one guy said that joke that I just said today. I'll be done in about, oh, maybe three hours. And he got up and left, and I'll never forget him. I would both thought that was very funny and very sad simultaneously. And, and he's given me one joke that I use every six months, no matter what. In any event, if you would like to hear the entire debate, and I know some of you may, see me afterwards. It only takes 16, 17 hours for me to explain it to you. tops. am I willing to do it? Yes. Can you buy the CD? If we could figure out which one it is. Yes. As there's many of them. So what else is within the parameters of the essential ISTAR subjects Well, obviously, death, this is the how and the what of death and the why of death. This is how death happens, why death happens, what happens at death. That's what's going on. That is why the guys came out here and sang that song, that Johnny Cash song. One of the last songs that Johnny Cash sang. Why? I mean, think about what we're doing here. Steak and Johnny Cash. Does he get any better at that in church? But Johnny Cash knew he was dying. He knew he was dying. He wasn't going to last long. So what did he do? He sang gospel songs. He wanted to make sure that you knew that he knew that he was dying, that you knew that he knew where he was going. Ain't no grave going to hold this body down. And his body didn't look so good down the stretch. So Johnny Cash wanted people to know before he died. So that's why I really appreciate what he was thinking. He was thinking of others. And he wanted them to know, wanted his friends to know. Anyway, this is obviously about death today, the how and the what and the why of death, the separation of the metaphysical soul spirit from the physical body. If you don't know that, you are a physical body, but that is not who you are. You are your mind. You are a metaphysical, or if you will, an immaterial, or if you will, a soul spirit Your memory, your mind, your personality, your intellect, everything about you is immaterial. It is supernatural. And it animates. That's how we know about each other, because it animates the physical body, if you wish to think of it that way. But death is the separation of the supernatural, the immortal, from the mortal, the physical. The immaterial that is cannot die, cannot be destroyed. Why can't it be destroyed? I always ask, ask that a lot, and I always repeat the same thing. Look... Your immaterial, your mind and body, ask the or, I'm sorry, your mind and your spirit ask the obvious question. What's it made of? It clearly is not made of a physical substance, as we know physical substances. If it's not made of a physical substance, then the next obvious question, what is it made of, and what is that substance, and where did that substance come from? And then who made it? When your body dies, you do not perish. We'll talk about destiny later. But anyway, how does death happen? Why does death happen? That's what's going on on fruits. And consider that for ourselves, but also reflect on the specifics of the death of Jesus Christ. That is important because he is not necessarily whom most say he is. He is the Lord God Almighty creator of all things nothing is created without him he is before time he is outside of the created order he is the creator of the created order so we have the death of christ we have the death of god in a sense and that's a very important question also once death is on the table once we decide that the subject today is death how happy and eastery is that it's perfect But once death is on the table, then naturally comes sin and judgment. Here comes sin and judgment. And once sin and judgment is on the table, then again, kaya, which is Hebrew for living soul, or what you would call immortality. Here comes immortality. Here comes now the destiny, the destination. You are immortal. What is at risk? What is at stake? Is where are you going to be after you die? You are going to be after you die where are you going to be after you die that is the Easter service and now once that question comes you realize that sin results in death and death sends us the judgment or the trial and now we have to find out do we owe the penalty or not and if we don't owe the penalty why don't we owe the penalty did the penalty get waived or did somebody pay the penalty that's what Easter is about sorry first fruits i'm really sorry this time i should never say easter on first fruits unless i'm what yes sarcasm that's right so do we owe the penalty or has it been paid and if it's been paid who paid it well it got paid as you know by jesus christ on this day actually resurrected on this day he paid it on passover and if so, why does God pay it? What's in it for God to pay it? And there, there now we come to blood. Because His blood is the price as the covering for sin. So, as an obvious question that Jeffy asked, are we covered? Or do we stand before the judge after we die naked? Do we have a garment that He will accept, which is the covering in blood? Or do we have no garment, or our own garment, or the wrong garment? Which garment do we have? It'd be a good idea to have the right garment and to know what garment that is. And then at least when you stand before him, you will stand before him with a position. You will say, I rejected your garment. Good luck with that. Or I took your garment. Why do? Why is there any, actually, that are not condemned? Why do any live? That's an important question. And by the way, when I say live, I, I mean it as God defines it, because he means it as eternity with him. Why does anybody live? Why don't we all just perish? And that's where the people who believe that we are simply a physical form and that when we die, our mind dies and we cease to exist. Uh, Who wants to believe that? Cessation of existence. Very few people, by the way, though the academia will tell you otherwise. But why is there any that are not condemned? Why do any have eternity with God reconciled? And naturally, that sends us next to belief because we are required to be saved to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, 1 John 3.23. Now the next obvious question. Why do any believe? Why are any saved again? So all the aforementioned are usually included in the typical cliffside fruits rant and rave that we call a lecture, along with entropy, which is the second law of thermodynamics and supernova remnants. Why aren't there any supernova remnants? We've got to have some supernova remnants, and we don't have any. And I want one. We usually do that on Ishtar, first roots, along with time and gravity and the speed of light, because gravity and the speed of light are what? They go at the same speed. That's important for you to know. You need to know how fast is gravity. Ask your kids. Say, you know, I want you to tell me how fast gravity is, and then walk away. And most of you are familiar with how time, gravity, the speed of light, entropy, and supernova remnants all relate to one another. And so I'm glad for that. But if you don't, again, that's what we do here. And of course, also, I have Simeon the Serenian that carries the cross beam, and he fits with all the other Simeons. I have a bunch of Simeons, and they're all a piece of a Simeon puzzle. When you put all the Simeon pieces together, you get the true understanding of why Simeon carried the crossbeam after the Romans made him. In case you think that Christ, God, Lord God Almighty, was too tired to lift up his own crossbeam, which we would call what? A sad position for you. Come see me, I'll fix it. And then I've got the four, it is finished, and Christ's authority over his crucifixion and his death. And all that pretty much sum up the essential cliffside Ishtar CD box set order now. Operators are waiting. But wait. We'll give you two box sets for three times the price. All you pay is shipping and handling. Okay. I struggled with what to do this year. Some of you know that. I told you. I don't know what to do. I instinctively wanted to present some mind numbing, rule generating insomnia cure, as is my custom, such as Psalm 1610. I had to get rid of the prerequisites because I just have to do them every year. You'll be surprised. It's very important. So now I'm to the point with what do I do? I could go with Genesis three seventeen twenty four. I decided that's cursed for your sake. That's very important to know. The curse of death is for what? It's for us. We're, we're, that's a good thing from God's perspective. Dying is something that that's a favor. That you are cursed for your sake. That brings a lot of questions with it. And that's essentially death is good or the second tree mystery, because there's two trees in the garden, you know. It's not all about the first tree. It's really all about the second tree. Once you go to the first tree, the tree of death, he makes sure nobody can get to the tree of life. So once you're in death, he doesn't let you stay in death. But he protects you from it. Death is for your sake. That becomes very important, the second tree mystery, to know that. And the visitor would find that much more interesting in Psalm 16.10, because this is more fuzzy-wuzzy and, I don't know, emotional. I'm really bad at emotional. But I'm drawn back to 16.10. The body resurrection of Christ is there, and the implications, the specifics, the necessity, the why did he do it this way questions. And obviously, I need you to understand that God... Christ is omniscient God, he is omniscient God. John 18:4, John 19:28, John 21:17. He knows all things at all times. He's never not God, he knows everything. And that means that the way he did it is the only possible way he could have done it. His omniscience requires that there's only one way to do things. And this is the only way, the one alone way. Nothing but this way will suffice for all things. This is the one plan that is perfect. His omniscience requires that to be true. If you think there's another plan that he could have done it another way, then you are denying that he is omniscient God. That is a problem for you. And so Christ must be resurrected. He must be bodily resurrected. He tells us and the Bible tells us our salvation depends on him being bodily resurrected. First Corinthians 15, 14 through 17 but why? Why does he have to be bodily resurrected? We have to figure it out. I believe it's important to understand the reason through, to know your Bible, to know what you believe. You see, you have Jonas and you have Exodus, and they're very important. They teach us the framework, the timing, and the meaning. They, the sacrificial system, Leviticus. I could have done Leviticus today. How many are glad I didn't do Leviticus? Thank you. Makes me feel better. Yeah, I know you would. That's why I didn't look at you. Mm-hmm. Can you fight with the with the uh, pastor during the sermon? Yes. Will you lose? Yes. Is it fun for me? Yes. Is it fun for the audience? Yes, it is. Comedy is hard in this business. Trust me. The sacrificial system Leviticus helps us kind of understand the why. It tells us that a substitute is required. That's a why. That's one of the reasons he came. We cannot stand and before him on our own. We require a perfect substitute that is acceptable to God. A price has to be paid. There is a penalty for sin. And there's blood required. We have to be covered by blood. So the sacrificial system in Leviticus teaches us some of the whys a little bit. But why is the substitute required? Why must the price be paid? Why blood? Why, 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 why? No, it sounds like a three-year-old. Well, let's go and figure it out. Psalm 1610. So now we'll start the sermon. How are the stakes doing? Perfect. Those of you who would like to leave early, no problem. More stake for us. I'll be done. Can you tell I'm trying to hustle through this? Doing my best to be visitor friendly. 1610 Psalms. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. I want to focus on that last one. The Holy One. The Holy One in most Bibles in the King James it's sometimes just left off as holy. Sometimes it's called the Holy Thing, by the way. But Holy One is probably best in both places. The Holy One is capitalized because why? Because it is about Jesus Christ. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. What does that mean? His body will not what? His body will not see corruption. His body will not decay. No decay, that is an extraordinary, did I spell decay right? Sort of. That is an extraordinary thing. Christ's body did not, will not, could not decay. Why not? No sin. Perfect. That's why he's an acceptable substitute. That's why his blood works. That's why we do communion. Your blood, my blood, everybody's blood in here, trust me. We're all sinful. We're all dying. I am obviously dying. You should see pictures of me from a few weeks ago. How good I looked then. But I'm obviously dying in front of you, decaying. I need blood. I need a new, I need new flesh. I need new blood. That's what communion is. It's a symbol of taking the perfect living blood, infinite blood of Christ, the perfect living flesh, infinite flesh of Christ, putting it inside of us. It is a medical procedure. We need a transfusion, if you will. Christ's body did not decay. He had death, but he did not have corruption. Then comes the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? Seventy-two hours, three days, three nights, he laid in tomb. No decay for three days, three nights while he was in the tomb. Obvious question, why three days? Why not fifty days? Why not five days? It's important to God that it be three days. Three days. Did he have to hurry back or it would corrupt? Duh. Hell yeah, you're going to corrupt. Still be there. That means some really important questions. Now I want you to, I want to throw in curse for your sake now. Let me read that to you, Genesis 3 17. See, Adam got the kind of a different deal. It's important to know that I have two Adams. I have the first Adam who did not go to the second tree. That is an extraordinary decision by him. So I have the first Adam who is not deceived by Satan. He is not deceived ever by Satan. It says so in Timothy. The first Adam, however, doesn't go to the first tree, but his body does decay into death, where the second Adam's body does not decay. So I have two Adams. Christ is called the second Adam because of what's called federal headship. Again, we'll sell you the CD. But I want to throw in Genesis 3.17 for you right fast there. Ready? Here we go. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and the toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The first Adam would decay. The first Adam would go to dust. We decay. We will go to dust. The second Adam body does not decay that's a big deal and some of you might have noticed that when you combine psalm 16 with genesis 3 that that is a great combination because it's going to start us on a long journey slogging through deep mud deep thick mud it's a long trip to get through it think concrete as you walk your way through it it's really tough cementuous. Because 1610, when you start finding out that he's talking about the Holy One, then you also immediately, he's talking about the Holy One in death, right? The Bible also talks about the Holy One in birth. Now, I would expect that. Actually, I call it the Holy Thing because I think that translation works the best. But I would expect that, right? Because the death of Christ is an extraordinary mystery, and the birth of Christ is called the first mystery of the eleven mysteries. It is called the mystery of godliness. It's incomprehensible. And it makes perfect sense that his, see, God becomes man, infinite God puts on humanity and becomes man. That's incomprehensible. Can't be described, can't be even understood in, in any great uh, level and the Bible calls it the holy thing, Luke 135 in the King James, where the King James gets it right once again. Okay? So I have an incomprehensible birth, and now, as you can see, because of 1610 Psalms, a body that doesn't decay, I am beginning to show you that we have an incomprehensible death. I want you to know that. By the way, did he have an incomprehensible life? Yes, he did. Incomprehensible birth. Incomprehensible, undescribable death and a life the same. God walking amongst, dwelling with man. So put the connection to Adam. Put the connection to his birth. The first of the mysteries. The mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3.16 So his death, likewise, unfathomable. So let's ask the question so you can understand why I say that. How does a sinless body die? How does it die? How do I kill a sinless body? It doesn't die on its own. Can I kill a sinless body? What's the answer? Can I kill a sinless body? Everybody who thinks no, keep your hands down. All of you who think yes, keep your hands down. What's the answer? No, you can't kill a sinless body. So how does a sinless body die? How does God die? This is sort of, notice I said sort of, solved for us in Luke 23:46 and John 19:30. How does a sinless body die? He has to do it. He has to give up his own spirit. He has to give up his own life. His life cannot be taken from him by a puny little tiny human being. His life must be given by him. So start putting the pieces together. Death for the first Adam. Death for us is for our sake. Why is it for our sake? Let me say it a different way, more correctly. The physical body, our physical goes to dust. It decays. It goes to corruption. And that's for our sake. That's for our benefit. That is a good thing. That it does that. So obviously... If it didn't do that, the inverse would have to be true. If it is true that it is best, it is good, it is for our sake to die, then it must, the inverse, the converse must also be true. That if we didn't die, that would be what? That would be horrible. That would be evil. That would be maximum wickedness. We have to die because what are we doing? We are progressing towards wickedness. And he stops us. That's what the second tree is all about. He is in wickedness and his wickedness is progressing and he stops him from going to the tree to live forever in wickedness. Stops it. Death for our sake. Now, the body of Christ does not go to corruption. Ours does. Body of Christ does not. And the body, the death of Christ is also for our Benefit. That's a secondary benefit. It's really for His glory. It glorifies Him. But it results in our salvation. So both die. One goes to corruption. One does not go to corruption. Both are for our sake. Both deaths. And obviously, if our immortal soul, spirit, mind must be separated from our body and our body must decay for our sake, for our benefit and and for our good, then the curse is good death is good does anybody think death is good death is good god put it there because he had to put it there for sin and it is a curse it wasn't it wasn't how i guess uh, now i'm going to get into free will and the predestination or the omniscience of god we have free will we sin free freely Uh, we go to our wickedness freely. We reject him. We have accountability. But he knows. He's omniscient. So, I want to go back a minute. Why is it that a sin-filled body cannot be allowed to continue? It must die. I want you to consider the result if it never dies. And again, this is obviously the key to the second tree mystery of Genesis three seventeen through twenty-four. God drives out Adam and Eve in order to protect them from the tree of living forever while they're in sin. I can't repeat that enough. Okay, some of you are going to bring up Galatians three thirteen to me or Deuteronomy twenty one, twenty three, where you'll say that Christ was hanging on a tree and became a curse for us. And so Christ had sin in him. And I'm going to say to you, well, let me read it to you. Christ has redeemed from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That, by the way, is the eighth mystery, and it refers to Judas as well. But Christ became sin, it says, or Christ became a curse for us. Well, if Christ became sin, that's why his body died. And so people have him becoming sin before the death of his body. And I'm going to tell you that no, that's the wrong way to look at it. It really is the typology of the Ark of the Covenant. It is the cup of Gethsemane. It is, what is at Gethsemane? I have a cup. And he says, I don't want to drink the cup, if you will. And he's putting on what's called a dramatic theodicy. In other words, the Godhead is talking to itself. Why is the Godhead talking to itself aloud? So that we can hear it. Because the Godhead doesn't need to talk to itself allowed or himself allowed is a better way to put it. So Christ is is saying, I want all to live, I want mercy, I want salvation for all. And don't let this cup let this cup pass because what's in the cup? What's in the cup is only the sins of the saved. It's called limited atonement. So Gethsemane and the typology of the Ark solved that for you if you need to know. The Ark you saw the movie, if you pull the lid off of the ark, what happens? It gets you, right? So I have Christ putting sin inside of Him to protect us. Just as I have the Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant covered by blood, protecting from the law. He weeps because the sins of the lost are omitted. He always weeps for the lost. He weeps for Israel because they're lost. When He's resurrecting Lazarus, He sees a graveyard filled with who? Behind Lazarus. He's only going to pull one guy out. Lazarus, boom. The rest of you are staying. Why? Probably lost. He waits for the lost, and I know I threw lots of stuff at you today. I don't expect you to gather it all in. I'm really anxious. The, let me say better. I really don't intend for you ever to take it all in. That would be misrepresenting it to you. Are you going to get it, You're going to spend your lifetime studying the Bible if you have wisdom. Are you going to get it all? You're not going to get it all. But for today, I want you to consider the implications of a dead body, a holy body that does not decay. I want you to imagine who's there. I want you to imagine who's there. Who's there? Who, who takes the dead body down? Nicodemus and Joseph. The teacher of Israel comes and gets the body. I want to know what he's thinking when he takes the body down. I want to know what the Romans are doing when they're watching the body. Is the body dying when it's being crucified? Can they kill the body of Christ? They can't kill the body. He's God. They thought that would be a normal crucifixion day. Another eight to five crucifixion. Okay, we got three. We can knock them all, knock them all down here in about you know, four or five hours. We can be back eating tri-tip and playing pool. But that's not what they got. This is God. And he intends to forgive his Roman executioners. He cannot be executed. He cannot die. He cannot be decayed. He cannot decay. He's the holy thing. He's the holy one. He is the incarnation. He is the mystery of godliness. How does he bleed? Where does the blood go? What happens to the blood that hits the ground? Does the blood decay? What happens if you're underneath him and the blood hits you? I'd say that'd be a really good deal. What happens if it touches a Roman? You know, how about the Mary the Mary burial spice ladies? They're running to the tomb with their burial spice. What were they thinking? To answer, to answer those questions, we got to go to Elisha, the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 13, because he is a type of Jesus Christ's omniscience. He lets us know that Christ is God and is omniscient. He also lets you know that there's his last miracle. He's dead. He's in a tomb. A soldier is dead. They take their dead soldier, Israeli soldier, and they throw him into Elisha's tomb. They don't know it. And all he does is touch the bones. And what happens to the soldier? He springs back to life. He's resurrected by touching. We have the bleeding woman. She just She's bleeding to death. She's been bleeding to death for years. All she has to do, she knows that if I touch him, and I don't even to touch him. I just got to touch something that's on him. I just got to touch him. And if I do, I'll be healed. How did she know that? Because great multitudes, if you read Mark uh, 4 and, and oh, I'm sorry, Mark 3 and Matthew 4, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, thousands of them chase after him for one reason and one reason only. They got to touch him if they can just touch him, just touch the body that cannot die. They didn't know that necessarily, but they knew if they touched him, they would live. They would be immediately healed for a time. And then they go back to sin and death. Our physical bodies must die. It is for our sake. His physical body cannot decay. That is for our sake. But it must die. That is for our sake. He must do it. That is for our sake. This is a celebration of the death of Christ we should know why okay last song probably a little country western just a guess by me why because of the banjo
1: His wounds, page 20. Sorry, not really. What? But I just know there are two songs, right? There's two, three. We're going to stand under through all of them. I think there's three. <laughs> okay. that brought us peace was upon him. And by his moon, by his moon, we are here. page 54. We're in this